0: Men can count on. Contact Cordell, Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to The Bird Rights. My name is Preston Ellis, and I'm the host for the new home to all things pelicans on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Follow us at The Bird Rights and get all the latest on your pelicans at TheBirdRights.com. <sighs> You go. Welcome to the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host, Preston else and today we are previewing the Portland Trail Blazers with award-winning journalist and Blazers Edge news editor, David McKay. Hey, thanks for joining us, David. Hey, no problem, Preston. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Uh, make sure you guys follow David at David McKay NBA. And there is an A, uh, M-A-C-K-A-Y. Make sure you get that right and stay up to date with the Blazers at Blazers Edge. Also, my partner I'm Scott Trout. Men can count on. Contact Cordell, Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Partner in crime today is none other than the editor-in-chief of the Bird Rights. Here's Ali Cosell. What's up, Ali?
1: Not a whole lot, Preston. I'm excited. I think the Pelicans are actually going to get a win tonight. You think
0: so? Um, just so you guys know, we are recording this on a Sunday. Ali has just ruined it for us. I was going to go right ahead as if we had beaten the Los Angeles Lakers. Damn I'm just right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 Just go ahead. The mystery is ruined. Thank you, Ollie. We're off to a bang. Now, uh, Ollie, it's been a hot second since since we've talked. Was it Thursday, Wednesday? When was the last time? Yeah, something like that. All right, let's get rolling. Thanks for being here, uh, helping babysit me with David. Uh, first question. All right, this is for you, David. Are the Blazers at fault for what has to be the quickest in-season firing of a head coach in NBA history? Are you talking about Earl Watson? I sure am. Three games in, I think it was a 48-point home loss on opening night to your Portland Trailblazers. Do you think this is the cause for him being axed so quickly?
2: I think it's a contributing factor. I mean, obviously, they haven't performed well in seasons past, and this year they didn't get off to the start they wanted to, but oh my goodness, we trounced them. I think we were up, what, like 56, 58 at one point, point. and then I stopped watching after the third quarter, to be honest, because there was no way that was going to be very interesting.
0: And you also apparently uh, destroyed Eric Bledsoe's will to live. He just posted about two hours ago something like, "I don't want to be here." <laughs> Such like an existential crisis he's having. Okay, let's get rolling on this for real. The Blazers have come out of the regular season gate sprinting with three games already under you guys' belts, including this Phoenix uh, loss that we just mentioned. A victory over the Pacers on Friday, one hundred fourteen to one hundred ninety-six, followed by a narrow loss on the second night of a back-to-back. Uh, Saturday night, one hundred ten to one hundred thirteen. Ollie was just talking about. Giannis' uh, 44 points and then uh, a touching interview afterwards in which he he thanked his father uh, was nice. David, tell us a bit about your team's early season performance so far.
2: Well, they're doing really well, which is you know great to see. It's kind of picking up where they left off at the end of last season where they had Nurcic, Nurkic uh, join them, except now he knows the sets. So, you know, he's a little more valuable and the team's working uh, more fluidly, which is nice because, you know, there was some concern that without Alan Crabb, uh, the, the chemistry wouldn't quite fit, but Pat Connaughton's really stepped up and kind of filled that void as a shooter off the bench, and they haven't missed a beat. And, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been the toughest schedule for them yet, but it's good to see that they're not faltering against teams that they should be uh, defeating and competing hard against.
1: Hello? Hello? I, I think we just lost Preston.
0: I'm having technical uh, technical difficulties over here. Sorry. Thank you guys. Uh, next time I'll put in some music in there to soothe you guys into a, into a calm while I figure that out. I've got a new blue Yeti. I'm very excited about it, but uh, I'm certainly not doing any uh, very well with it so far, but I'll stop wasting your time. Now, David, you've got a three headed monster in Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, and a uh, pretty newly acquired use of as you were just mentioning. Uh, Nurkic averaged somewhere around 15 and seven post all-star break in 30 minutes per game uh, last season. But uh, according to NBA, dot com slash stats. you were talking about him uh, assimilating into the offense and knowing the sets a little bit better but according to this he's shooting 35 percent in three games so far this season talk about these three cornerstones and expand a bit more about what you were saying about their offensive uh, sets and and their chemistry together
2: well he's still kind of learning like obviously uh it's a small sample size so ideally he'll be shooting a little bit better but part of that lower field goal percentage is him trying to bring his range out a bit um, I know he was trying to take a three or two the other night, and uh, they're relying on him to to kind of stretch, him, which is some, it's a role he's never been in before. Uh, but they're definitely going to try and run the offense through him in the post more often. That's something that Terry emphasized before the season began, and I think we'll see more of as the season goes on. But having a post presence for the first time, like a legitimate post presence for the first time since LaMarcus Aldridge can only make the guards more
0: dangerous because – it gives them more room to operate in another threat on the inside. Again, this is the Bird Rights, and we are talking to David McKay and Ali Kosell on Nothing But Net Radio on the Dash. Ali, uh chime on in here whenever you want. Uh David, you've got a lot of wings between Evan Turner, Mo Harkless, Al Farouk Amino, uh Jake Lehman, and Caleb Swanigan you you've got elite or close to elite level talent at the other three positions in Dame CJ and Nurkic but what is the development like at the 3 and the 4 with this group
2: oh it's really interesting actually cuz uh, Caleb is impressing a lot more than than people initially thought he would not that you know people were disregarding him out of the gates or anything but uh, Caleb Swanigan has looked like he could be a steal in this draft at 26 and coming in being able to contribute right away gives us something to work with at the four uh, coming off the bench, which is nice because, you know, in the past we've kind of pushed Farouk down there uh, because he's a strong defender. You know, we've got Evan at the two coming off the bench oftentimes. I think now he's been uh, playing a little more three, but it gives it gives Terry lots of things to play with. He can mix and match. He can go for a strong defensive unit and put out Farouk and Harkless and, you uh, you know, go small if he really wants to put ed davis at center off the bench and so i mean it'd be nice to have elite level talent at every position there are very few teams in the league that can boast close to that but if you're going to have like a 1a and 1b for your guards and you have a, a firm center you're going to need you know just options and right now that's what the blazers have
0: um maybe the this-
1: thing i've noticed um Early on this season, is the fact that your wings are making the three point shots early. Um, I know Alfred Camino had his rough but hot stretches last season, but also Evan Turner's up over 40% to start and uh, heartless. Was it yeah, something you guys anticipated? Do you think this is short sample size or is there something to this improvement?
2: I think it's a combination. I mean, guys are always focusing on improving their shooting, but right now I'd say it's sample size just because uh, if there's one major knock. On the Blazers' offense right now, it's that they really don't have any shooters outside of Damon CJ. I mean, uh, Pat has stepped up, as I mentioned. Pat Connaughton has been doing a great job. But, you know, you you have players that can shoot the three, but we only have two players I would consider three-point threats. And uh, we'll see Evan Turner kind of peter off a little bit. We'll see Farouk kind of peter off a little bit. But I'm glad that so far they've been doing well.
0: Okay, let's throw this one to Ali. Uh, Talk a bit about the history between the Blazers and the Pelicans, Ali. I know last season there was that uh, really triumphant 179 victory. Uh, Boogie and AD were both in the lineup. Nurkic was out, but it was kind of the biggest win with DeMarcus Cousins on the floor. We had had some big wins at that point that month uh, where Boogie either missed time due to suspensions or fouling out early. But... uh, Disregarding that win last year, you said something on Twitter the other day like the Pelicans had lost seven in Portland in a row. Talk a bit about the history up there in Portland for
1: us. Yeah, generally the Pelicans haven't traveled, fared well on the Western Conference road trips. And it's pretty much mostly been evident. um, Let me see, outside of Portland, just a few other stops. But yeah, in Portland, it seems like they've always had the Pelicans number. Whether the team will get off the slow starts or they would find a way to lose at the end. Somehow, way they would always get snake-bitten and drop that loss. Um, now, this goes back well to the days of when they still had LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, even, I think, Brandon Wall was still playing. Because the last time, David, believe it or not, I think uh, the Pelicans actually beat you guys was back in 2010, back when we still had Chris Paul. So it's been a long time since before that W last season, uh, Preston just referenced. Um, personally, I just attribute it to, like I said, they've never been a good travel team out west. Somehow. It bothers our team. And usually, honestly, when I looked at the schedules, I did notice that there was a lot of those weird scheduling where it was on either on the second night of a back-to-back or something like that. So that never helped. But then again, you know, you, you can make all the excuses you want. You think you'd at least get a win or two. But from my perspective, it was always execution with CASA. It was defense with laps or vice versa. Uh, do you remember anything clear that stands out as to why you guys have pretty much dominated New Orleans up in your building?
2: Oh, not especially. I look back and I just remember uh, Damian's uh, buzzer beater. I don't remember what year that was. Was that his rookie season? That, that might have been his first
1: buzzer beater in the NBA or something like that. But, uh, yeah, we. I remember it well. Yeah, it was. And he seems <laughs> like he's thrown daggers in just about every other game. You know, either it has been a close score. And it hasn't been at the end like that one, but yeah. Yeah, that that's a good point. Way to bring that up. Remind us of Damian <laughs> Lillard killing us. <laughs>
2: Well, and I think I mean, when I look back at like Dame's rookie year, especially um when he when he won Rookie of the Year, there was just sort of this competitive fire with like all this talk about Anthony Davis. And it was well, you know, the talk was perfectly valid. You know, he's an amazing player. But that kind of fuels him a little bit. And I think he looks at that and and that uh kind of brings his game up a notch. And I know that's sort of a sports cliche, but that's Kind of how Lillard operates is he looks for for wood for the fire.
0: And at least back then, that's kind of how we treated it. Yeah, he's a killer. Uh, I think it was in 2014, one of my favorite recent memories with my dad was we actually went to a Pelicans game in the Smoothie King Center. And the Pelicans were up uh, by three with 30 seconds. And Dame took a three uh about five feet in front of midcourt. Like nobody was just <laughs> expecting him to shoot it from that distance. And it swished. It went right through. Luckily uh Tyreek went down and hit a fadeaway and then Lamarcus went one on one with AD and AD got a piece of it and the the building went nuts. But I remember just watching Damon in person and just thinking like just you know the the biblical definition of ice in your veins, a guy who has no fear, who wants to take that shot and who that shot goes in for, just a, a world-class type player. And I want to dive in a bit more uh, on Dame and CJ, your all-star level point guard. These guys get snubbed repeatedly in the all-star game just because the western conference is so stacked we talk a lot about people like mike conley how if they were in the east they'd be in the all-star uh game every year talk a bit about the portland trailblazers fans and and what their appreciation is like for players like damon cj
2: oh it's unbelievable i mean you know damon cj are sort of the heart of this town and even with like when nurkic came in he was so happy to be here because like it Really rallied the Bosnian community, and everyone's just so supportive of uh, pretty much everyone on the team, with the exception of Myers Leonard, maybe a little bit. But um, yeah, no, Dame is is fantastic, and every year he gets snubbed. Every year people get mad about it. Um, I, the voting's different this year, though, isn't it? Uh,
0: as far as I remember, Ollie might know this better than I. But uh, it's one third coaches, one third players, one third fan voting. Is that right, Ollie? Yeah, that's right.
2: I thought I saw something about the uh, the conferences not playing as big a role, or is that still
1: I think be? that's well, well, the All-Star team well. itself, um, David. At least that's what I was told. It's as to where, you know, there's going to be team caps and selectors. So, basically, whoever gets voted into the All-Star game, then it's going to be up to two people on deciding the team. So, in effect, conference will not matter one bit. But if, it, if there's oh, something more, oh, then I'm not it. aware of it. Okay. okay, gotcha. Yeah, no, David, I you I've know
2: got... it, it's uh it's tough because there are so many amazing guards in this conference. You got, you know, James Harden and Russell Westbrook and Steph Curry, and they're all, you know, they're worthy of making it and they're all in huge markets and you know Dame's up here doing his thing and he, I like to think that he's about the same
1: caliber, but it's really
2: hard to uh replicate that voting base. David, here's the um,
1: question I really want to ask you is um is your fan base everybody that follows the team closely experts fans you name it are they set on a Damian Lillard CJ McCollum uh, tandem in the future and the reason I bring this up is because I remember you guys your site I think I believe it was David Deckard your guys editor kind of wrote you know raised the question should they try and trade CJ for a better fit next to um, Lillard so as to where they could be you know a, a more powerful team because smaller guards in the backcourt everybody was saying it's kind of a hard team build as to where you're you're kind of limiting your ceiling you guys still kind of think that way or has that changed
2: well it's interesting because i think people are a little more sold on it now than they were before especially now that cj is looking like an all-star as well and it's hard to look at two all-stars on one team regardless of the problems they have and say split them up Uh, defense is the major issue that they may still face uh, i think that was what fueled the fire for those talks was you know needing a better defensive presence at the wing uh which is again what they've tried to do with parkless and aminu to really bolster that but uh i think at this point they really shouldn't be split up because they operate so well together and now that they have an anchor in the post you know that is uh definitely helpful for them too but i see the the uh interest there i mean you definitely want to have a well-rounded team and right now we're sort of a glass cannon you know we go out and we pour in points and points and points and points and then you try and stop someone else from doing the same and, you just, you know. uh, and that comes with having two kind of undersized guards out there playing next to each other for extended minutes and uh i think that's uh part of why people were so excited about potential paul george talk last summer and you know, it's uh, it'll be something to address moving forward, but I think the the city is committed to those two places.
0: Again, this is the Bird Rice, and we were talking to David McKay and Ali Cosell on Nothing But Net Radio on the Dash. Let's get into lineups a little bit um, and offensive sets, uh, as you were referencing earlier. The Pelicans have been really successful utilizing this 4-5 or pick and roll when they've employed it between uh, AD and Boogie, utilizing screens to get the matchups that they like with AD, and even allowing Boogie to control the offense from the top of the key and at the elbows. The Pelicans' offense, though, has been in a bit of a disarray since losing uh, expected, uh, I guess we call him a player coach or uh, floor general Rajan Rondo, uh, forcing Drew Holiday back into his uncomfortable playmaking role. Although the Pelicans did secure Jameer Nelson tonight, we're not ex- uh, totally sure of what his playing time will be tonight. But anyway, you've got one of the best backcourts in the NBA, as we discussed in CJ and Dame. What kind of offense are we going to expect from the Blazers on Tuesday night, David?
2: Threes and threes and threes and threes and threes. That's, I mean, that's typically the Blazers calling card, but you're also going to see uh, Dame especially going to attack. They'll look to attack. You're going to see them moving the ball through Nurkic in the post. Uh, it, you know, they're kind of figuring things out with the offense just because you've got so many uh, different lineup options. But it really depends, you know, if they're going to put Evan out there, if they're going to put Mo out there, if they're going to put Farouk out there. It just... It's kind of hard to determine right now what they're going to do, but I will say that in the past, uh, they've liked to trot out Myers Leonard against uh, DeMarcus Cousins just because he's like one and built like a superhero. I don't know if they'll do that tonight, or uh, sorry, not tonight, but uh, on uh, Tuesday, but we'll kind of see.
0: All right, cool. And you were talking a bit about Myers Leonard being matched up on Demarcus Cousins. Before we get into specific matchups, uh talk a bit more about Pat Connaughton and uh this bench unit of Shabazz Napier, some of these wings we were discussing, like Swanigan, you said has been impressing early. Uh the Pelicans tend to make their, their uh first bench guys go in probably at about the five-minute mark of the first quarter, and then early on in the second, you see like a large dosage of bench guys. When do uh, when does Terry Stotts usually start to implement his bench, and what kind of guys are we going to see uh, there at the end of the first quarter?
2: Well, he likes to to go pretty early. In fact, Pat's been getting on the floor uh, pretty early on in the first quarter, and CJ usually will uh, he'll take a point. So they'll sub Dame out. CJ moves to point. We'll bring in some guy that shooting guard, and uh, it's it's going to be. Hmm. Let me think about this. Who are you guys running
0: at the three right now? Uh, right now we're starting. Actually, I'll let Ali take this. He knows this better than I do.
1: No, I was just going to say, it, it, it's just for look. Dante Cunningham is the starter. He's just filling in for Solomon Hill, who's injured. So Halvin mm-hmm. Gentry wants the size and the length. But considering you guys start, who is, that? I believe, Mo Harkless, I could see that Cunningham not getting nearly as many minutes so and maybe somebody like either a combination of Edwan Moore and Darius Miller. Was having a bigger game to get a lot more of those minutes at the three.
2: Okay, yeah. So we're we're definitely going to see uh, Mo coming out there, and uh, with, what's going to be weird is like, okay, so you guys are running AD and Cousins at the front court, obviously, and Farouk is a phenomenal defender, but like he's not long enough to guard AD very well. But the Blazers don't have tons of options there, so maybe they'll put in Ed a little bit earlier. Uh, he's referring okay. to Ed Davis. Yeah, Ed Davis, sorry. <laughs> I have to make sure I'm specifying.
1: Uh, yeah, but, sorry, I was just going to say one big thing. It was Ed Davis, and I remember I also wanted to ask you about Nurkic. Um, both of these guys have struggled in the past against both AD and Cousins, respectively, where I think they've gotten in a lot of early foul trouble. Um, mm-hmm. Is this something you foresee possibly happening, or maybe how could Terry Scott avoid it, or, or what's his like backup plan? Or is there one? <laughs>
2: Backup plan will have to be Caleb just because he's he's a big, strong body. Uh, but, yeah, you know, a lot of players are going to struggle against Cousins and AD regardless of which team's playing. So hopefully foul trouble won't be an issue. But uh, I think plan A is Yusuf Nurkic. Plan B would be uh, maybe Myers Leonard, although he's been kind of an afterthought this year. Uh it's tough because you need big bodies and the Blazers are just kind of lacking those, even with Zach Collins, our, our, uh, new rookie who's I think seven, seven, one, he's like a hundred pounds. So that won't do, uh, they'll just kind of have to play it by ear, but yeah, Yusuf Nurkic is going to be the key to trying to defend those guys. And if he gets in foul trouble, then the Blazers themselves are in trouble overall.
0: Now talk a bit about Evan Turner. Uh, he's shooting really well, according to NBA.com slash stats, but, uh, I I just remember earlier from his days uh, in Boston, he was this guy who had to have the balls, the ball in his hands in order to to make his offensive game work. How has he been assimilating this season with Dame and CJ? And can we expect to see a lot of him with the first unit or is he the type of player who kind of heads up the second unit now?
2: He does a lot of work with the second unit, but he also plays with the starters. I think when he's out there with the second unit, you'll see a little bit more facilitation. Um, and then when he's playing with the first unit, usually what he's trying to do is look for that mid-range shot, which, you know, in today's NBA isn't like statistically the sexiest shot to take, but he's really, that's where he excels. So, you know, he's he's not going to be working with the ball a heck of a lot when you have Damon CJ on the floor, but when you get him out there with the other
0: guys, he's going to be helping move it around. All right. uh, The last question before I get into predictions, just talk about Terry Stotts, his role in Portland right now, how confident you guys are going in with him. Obviously, the Western Conference is loaded. And while many of us expect the Portland Trailblazers to squeeze into maybe the eighth seed, possibly as high as the seventh seed, I would think. What what happens this year should the Trailblazers fall to the ninth seed? Uh, Is Terry Stotts in a comfortable position in Portland right now? Oh,
2: oh, man, uh, I would like him to be because I think he's a phenomenal coach, but I don't think if the Blazers, Blazers miss the playoffs that his seat is entirely safe because there was talk last year or speculation that, you know, before the Nurkic trade and things weren't going so great. And they were looking at Neil Shea as the president of basketball operations and Terry Stotts as the head coach. They're kind of looking at the uh, progression of what would happen, like, OK, Stotts would go first uh, before Neil was removed and i don't know if that would happen but anyway that's that's all in the past um if they do miss the playoffs this year for the first time in four or five seasons dots is not safe
0: gotcha um, I'm going to ask one more follow-up question just because we were talking a bit about this off air. You guys traded Alan Crabb. Your luxury tax was going to be through the ceiling with contracts that you gave to both Alan Crabb and Evan Turner on top of paying Moe was somewhere around four years and 40 million. I'm doing that off memory and Al Camino Amino uh, for 28, I think something around that. And on top of Myers Leonard, like three for 30. So you guys were in a, in a bit of a pinch. You gave away Alan Crabb Uh, basically just for a first round pick with nothing in return other than just giving them a a trade exception. Um, What, who is taking those minutes? Is it Pat Connaughton? And do you miss him uh, through three games?
2: Uh, You know, I'd like to say it's addition by subtraction, but really it's not, you know, you can't immediately replace Alan Crabb, but Pat Connaughton has done a great job and for the minimal step down for a maximum price reduction, it's been worth it. Um, I wasn't so much a fan of the crab. No, okay, let's let's rephrase it. I was a fan of the crab trade because it needed to happen. I was not a fan of the crab signing. Uh, but to to sign a bad contract and then to get rid of it for a player that you need to stretch, Andrew Nicholson, who was uh, owed $20 million, is kind of rough because like people were really excited, like, oh, we didn't even have to attach a first-round pick to get rid of him. And it's like, well, I mean, this was your big signing last year and you gave him away for like a you know, we already stretched Festus Azele. We already stretched Anderson Bergerow. And now we're paying I think, nearly $3 million a year through 2024 to stretch Andrew Nicholson. And we got literally nothing back, like you said. Uh, but I, <laughs> I, I digress. Uh, it's been nice having Pat actually like really step up. I don't know that a lot of people foresaw that. And if he can continue this production, and he's going to be really valuable, um, I remember that Crab has he's been kind of billed as a three and D guy for a long time, but I'm trying to remember which metric it was. His defense was not fantastic. He would impress with a flashy steal now and then, but you no, know, it it's not like the team's defensive makeup is drastically altered by his absence. And the three point shooting has been made up for. It. So as long as the Blazers can move ahead with the guys they have, I'm happy with the Crab trade because we needed to save money.
1: Holly, I'm gonna. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just say, David, Pat is really interesting to me because you just already went ahead and mentioned short sample size with most of your forwards on the wing. Um, how are you sure that he's not going to fall into that? Because all I remember about this guy was how he was getting ready to basically leave professional basketball and go back to baseball, um, <laughs> you know, after his contract was up. So I guess what that's done a complete 180, huh?
2: Well, it wasn't so much that he was prepared to leave, but that was kind of always the speculation because in the summer he likes to do training stuff with the Orioles who drafted him and uh, has been mentioned by every announcer thus far, three for three, that he was drafted by the Orioles. We'll see if uh, we hear it again on Tuesday. But <laughs> but yeah, you know, he's he's always been a really strong shooter. That's his, his upside. I mean, if you go back to his uh, draft profile, you can see his vertical is incredible. But, like, we're not really counting on him to be. Explicit. We want him to stand in the corner and sink shot. and So far, he's done a great job of that. And it could be sample size. You're right. I mean, it's unfair of me to say that this production will absolutely continue. But I'm a lot more confident that this isn't a fluke compared to, say, Evan Turner, who historically has been a portrait.
1: Mm-hmm. Harrison, I've got one more question for David real quick, because he touched on it. Um, David, you just mentioned that you guys are not happy at all with all the dead money sitting on your books, Festus Azili, Andrew Nicholson and whoever else. Is is Vergell still on there? I can't even remember. Yeah. But that okay. And you guys are thoroughly unhappy with what is it, about six, seven million. Now what I've got to ask you is you think there was a better alternative? Because for the Pelicans fans, they have been dying to see Omar Sheik been or to go through that stretch provision and be waived. And now people are kind of calling for something similar with like the uh, because both of these guys are taking up over 15 million and two roster spots. And every fan that I've ever talked to over the last two years about these guys has simply said stretch and wave, stretch and wave. Are you saying that we should, those fans should reconsider that notion? Because honestly, having that dead money is a lot worse than most people realize.
2: No, no, no. I,
1: I think it, you know, it'll vary uh, from team
2: to team and there's situation. I think for Crab, it was the right decision to trade him. Um, I'm personally not happy with the dead money because I didn't want to sign him in the first place. Uh, that's my my own misgivings going a year back. But I do think stretching and waving is a valuable option, especially if you're just trying to get rid of a player who's eating up that much money. Um for the Blazers, it was necessary for the luxury tax. I'm not sure what your guys' cap situation is exactly right now. But uh, I've I've tracked Agenza a little bit in his career. He was uh, out in France for a while before, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And he came over, and he's kind of this big hulking dude, uh, giant shoulders, skinny calves. But, you know, he goes out there and does his thing. And it, it, he hasn't really... Uh, been what people had hoped he would be, so it makes sense that people would would want him to be cleared from that roster.
1: Yeah, he showed a lot of flashes, David, under Monty Williams under a slower system, and then there was a lot of expectation in Alvin Gentry's first season that he could surpass Omar Sheikh on a depth chart and thereby become a starter, but it didn't happen. Uh, the fast system, you know, and the style of uh, ball movement and such just killed both players' values completely. So, in essence, the Pelicans re signed two players, hired a coach that doesn't fit. And now they're, I mean, honestly, the Pelicans just have two guys on the end of the roster until either they trade them or waive them or, you know, I mean, who knows? So they're basically not going to see any minutes for the lifetime of their contract. So that's why it's just interesting to ask you that question. Oh, yeah. You
2: know, the Pelicans have been a pretty interesting hodgepodge of a roster. I remember looking at them this summer and thinking, all right, okay, Anthony Davis. Marcus Cousins, both you know five-star players. You've got uh, Drew Holiday coming out there, but after that, you've got what one more Solomon Hill, Dante Cunningham. Like you, those aren't really guys that I personally consider like rotation players on most good teams. So it's kind of top-heavy and and uh, but you know now you've added Rondo and Jameer Nelson and. Who knows how the season is going to go from there. I was a big fan of the Tony Allen signing. Not that he'll give you shooting, but he'll give you defense and kind of a veteran voice.
0: Uh, just to expand on what you guys were talking about, Andrew Nicholson is signed at 2.84 million through 2021. Anderson Vereshow at almost two million dollars through 2020, and Festus Ezeli at a very manageable uh, one third a million through 2019. So you guys are only about a little over five million per year. Let's talk predictions. 10 p.m. Eastern Time is the uh, the tip off on Tuesday night against the Trailblazers. The Pelicans head into it one and two, right,
1: Ali? Yeah, that's right. One and, two. Uh, um, what's gonna happen, Ollie? Well, I gotta stick to what I originally said before the season started, and that is, David, you're gonna be a happy man. I think the <laughs> Pelicans are gonna start one and three with their only loss come or win, excuse me, come against the Lakers. So penciled in the Trail Blazers as a loss. It's just it's never worked out. I don't see how it's gonna change enough considering the team is still trying to find its way. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch any of the first couple of games, but the team has shown glimpses of an offense that clicks, and when it clicks, they're incredible. But when it doesn't work, they're really, you know, really lacking for that floor general, as Presta mentioned earlier on the show. So I still think they're going to go through kind of some of those uh, motions. So I'm going to say they fall to the uh, Trailblazers by a score of about 111 to 104.
0: And what about you, David?
2: That sounds about right. I think the score might be a little higher than that just because – it seems every year the scores get higher and higher. So I'll say like, one eighteen, one twenty five. But yeah, you know the the Blazers have the advantage of continuity here. I mean, you guys, you've got a uh, Cousins was added midway through last season, and you know Nurkic was added midway through our season last year. But the vast majority of our guys have been playing uh, on this team for a handful of years now, and they work well together. And you guys. You know, I haven't had the opportunity to watch, so I'm not going to say, like, straight up that you guys don't function because I'm sure those flashes you talk about are fantastic. But it just seems that looking at your roster, you've got a bunch of guys that are either uh, kind of holes. You know, they're they're not really going to go out there and be major contributors. And you've got a handful of guys that are new. You know, the the Blazers have historically done well against you guys, and uh, I don't think that's going to change.
0: All right. Thank you so much for your time, David. Now you can follow award-winning journalist David McKay at David McKay NBA and stay up to date on his work at the Blazers Edge. David, anything you want to plug before we go?
2: Uh, I think you covered it. Blazers Edge. Check us out. We do good work. Uh, My Twitter feed is pretty active. You can always talk to me during the season. I like to respond and I
0: like to get in discussions. And Ollie said something pretty important on Twitter the other day, and that is how important it is to read enemy uh, journalists' uh, reviews of the Pelicans because you get a really good idea of what the league as a whole thinks about the Pelicans from an, oppo- an opposing point of view. And Ollie, do you have anything to plug?
1: Um, Actually, not really. We've been doing such a good job where we've been covering recaps in, in podcast and written form. Um, we're just still trying to get a sense of, when this team's going to turn it around because everything I've seen in the locker room, um, they think they're a good team. DeMarcus Cousins made a point of mentioning that they all looked at each other late in that game against the Golden State Warriors and said, we're good. Damn it. We're good. So we're hoping to see a glimpse of that in these next couple of games. And if we do, Hey, we're going to start writing happier articles again.
0: Hey, if that, if that Golden State Warriors matchup on Saturday is in any indication, although they were on the second night of their back-to-back, Memphis uh pretty much took to a two-um, hard-fought game, but uh, Memphis ended up pulling it out late. So who knows? We might have just lost to two of the best teams in the West. Uh, we'll find out soon, though. David, thank you so much for your time. We've got two more matchups this year, both in the new year. Hopefully we'll talk to you then. Yeah, I'd be happy to be back. And, hey, I'm pulling for you guys. I've always been a Cousins fan. Thanks, buddy. And, Ollie, anything you want to say? Parting shots?
1: No, thank you for joining us, David.
0: All right. That was David McKay. And now for part two of our podcast, where we'll be bringing on Blazers Edge, Stephen DeWald. And now we welcome onto the pod another contributor to Blazers Edge. This is Stephen DeWald. What's up,
3: Stephen? Hey, Preston. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to, uh, to talk about a little more
0: basketball now that the season's underway. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on. I'm kind of your stalker because what happens whenever we have an upcoming matchup with an opponent, what I do is I go to a bunch of websites and I try to look at articles that have posted and I I read the, the, the author's names and then I try to you know, I, I was really thrilled that you were one of the ones that respond. I, I wrote to your editor, but uh, when I got your when I got your name and I went on Blazers Edge and I and I saw your work, I was just so thrilled because it's it's fantastic. It's in detail. It breaks down step for step what happened through the game. Uh, this is against the Milwaukee Bucks and Giannis at forty four point performance, and obviously his touching tribute to his father after. Uh, but you guys can follow him at Steve D. Hoops. Uh, Steve, before we get into this, just something for some of our younger listeners. How did you get linked up with Blazer's Edge? So Blazer's Edge is kind of like the
3: the guru here in Portland. I mean, they've they've been around for 10 or so years. And really, if you want to talk Blazers, that's where you go. And I, I actually started blogging on Fan and in hopes of getting on to Blazer's Edge. And luckily, uh, our, our managing editor, Dave Decker, took a chance on me last year. And I kind of started doing previews last year and then got an opportunity to do summer league this year and then kind of worked my way into recap and more analysis and so it's kind of been you know one of those dreams that you have when you start being a fan of the team you know so as minor as that sounds it's it's a lot of fun over here
0: no i followed a similar path myself i i just got uh done podcasting with the editor of pelican debrief which is the fan-sided pelicans network and i made my way over from there to the bird rice which is, which is the sb nation so similar path similar uh crossing uh two ships crossing in the night now we're talking and we're talking blazers and pelicans and this is an important matchup just because we seem to find ourselves here every single season and i don't want to predict the future but just it's where all the pundits have us it's kind of what has been happening the past three years the pelicans and the the blazers are those kind of fringe contenders those fringe playoff teams who always fall somewhere between like seven and eleven in the west and this season promises to Potentially be similar last year. We were just a couple of games behind the Blazers. We were three games behind the Nuggets kind of seesawed back and forth. We never really caught up. So these games are so much more critical than for the Pelicans. What a game against the Warriors could mean or are uh, the Sacramento Kings this Thursday. This is a game that that both of our squads need to win and let's let's get into it because you guys won on opening night 124 to 76 against the suns virtually getting earl watson filed fired (laughs) with that performance and then the pacers 114 to 96 you guys were successful again and then on the second night of a back-to-back 110 to 113 to the bucks before we get into specifics on the game just talk about the general feeling through these three performances where do you guys see yourselves at the end of the season just based on these three games alone I think it's, it's a little hard to read into those first two games
3: because it it's mixed because those are games that I think everybody felt the Blazers should win. And you have to win those games. Like you said, it's so tight at the bottom end of the Western Conference that those are teams you have to beat. Now, the margin of victory is where kind of that, that extra optimism creeps in. But, I mean, Earl Watson's fired now. The Pacers don't really have it don't really have a true superstar. I mean, they have Miles Turner, but Miles Turner didn't play against the Blazers. So it's really hard to kind of read into those, but the margins of victory look good. Um, and then kind of really the Bucks game. I think there was, a, there was a lot of good things that happened in that game. It's just that Giannis, Giannis decided to play out of his mind and there was just moments in that game where there was nothing the Blazers could do and they just weren't equipped to kind of stop a guy on the wing like that. So that's a problem you're the, the blazers are going to run into. I mean, you're going to be facing Paul George in Oklahoma City, and you know the Minnesotas loaded up on the wing too. so this you know, hopefully this isn't a test or a, a sign of things to come for them.
0: You know, I was going to talk a little bit about this later and go through, uh, you know, some of the surprise performances as well as Dame CJ and Yusuf Nurkic. We talked about that a little bit earlier with David. But let's get right in. You've got a great article up on Blazers Edge recapping the matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks. And why I want to concentrate on this game specifically is because while the Bucks have uh, more prolific players on the wing and Chris Middleton and even Malcolm Brogdon to an extent over uh, our own Drew Holiday and Ian Clark, uh, you guys have Giannis Etetokounmpo, who is a large body with large limbs, uh, exceptionally athletic, able to do things that a lot of, you know, players in the league can't do, potentially no one except for maybe Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis. And why this is so critical uh, is because the Pelicans, one, need this game. And two, in your article... Giannis is doing a lot of things that Anthony Davis is doing. He's, he's penetrating the paint. He's opening up the floor for defenders. Talk a little bit about Giannis's performance and why it was so difficult for the Blazers to, uh, to keep him occupied.
3: So I, I know this sounds weird because you're, you're looking at a 44-point performance, but the Blazers actually did a decent job on him early in this game, and that, that involved a lot with when he was coming through the paint originally. Like They are running him off. He's like a down pick when Brogdon's bringing the ball up the court and they're chipping him when he comes through the paint. Ed Davis is super mobile. He looks like he's back back to normal in the paint. He's our reserve center. And, you know, he's putting a body on Giannis every time. And then slowly as the game went on, they kind of lost track of that. So Giannis is getting that ball in space on the elbow. And basically at that point, the Blazers had Evan Turner on him who has, you know, there's a major size disadvantage between those two guys. And Turner was giving him space and daring him to shoot, but I mean, Giannis is such an unbelievable athlete that he was using that space to to get ahead of steam towards the basket. And then when they were finally kind of starting to cut seal that off and send help his way, the the Blazers had problems controlling outside shooting, and you had Mirza Teletovic and Tony Snell went six for eight from three last night. And that, that just really compounded the problems the Blazers were already facing with Giannis scoring so many points in that second half. Now
0: that's something the Pelicans are going to have to capitalize on In the first quarter of our two games thus far The Pelicans have shot really well uh, I'm drawing from memory But I think 5 of 7 in the first quarter In the opening matchup against the Grizzlies They ended up finishing 7 of 25 And then in the second matchup against the Warriors They started out 6 of 8 from 3 But then slowed out significantly significantly Through that game In this matchup uh, It appears based on your article That Giannis is, is opening up the floor By drawing in defenders to the paint Before we talk about uh, how he was able to get the ball around the court and get these three point shooters, not only shooting, but also penetrating to kick out to each other. Talk about a little bit more about Ed Davis and Evan Turner, because I would never expect Evan Turner to be matched up against Anthony Davis, but was, was Giannis Antetokounmpo just destroying Ed Davis? Who else do you think could potentially be matched up against somebody like an Anthony Davis?
3: Well, so, so Ed Davis wasn't directly guarding Giannis yesterday, but he's, he's in the paint. He's uh, he was on uh, Henson for a while, the the Bucks reserve center, and then played a little bit on Monroe, but there he was in charge of kind of putting a body on somebody that came through the paint. Now Turner is actually a lot better on ball defender than a lot of people give him credit for. The problem with him was, is he was just getting posted up by Giannis and that's, I wouldn't, I would be surprised to see Turner guard a guy like Anthony Davis. I think you're more likely going to get a heavy dose of Al Farouk Aminu tomorrow. And I, I don't think some of the stuff that the Blazers had success with Giannis early, they're going to be able to do against the Pelicans just because if Ed Davis is coming over to chip on on Davis or help Davis, you're going to most likely be leaving Boogie open. And that's, that's not a, a dance the Blazers are going to want to be doing on Tuesday night.
0: Now, something that David alluded to was that he expected uh, some version of Myers Leonard or Ed Davis being paired against DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, he compared Myers Leonard to having like an Olympian type body, something that could withstand a lot of punishment from a, a physical guy like DeMarcus Cousins. How would you see that matchup going? And who else would you see paired against him?
3: As far as Cousins, I would say I Myers really hasn't seen the floor for the Blazers. but. Myers does have a history with with Demarcus Cousins. They kind of, I, I think it's more on Portland's end of, he he was brought in to be a nuisance to Demarcus when he was in Sacramento to try to kind of get him agitated and try to get him maybe a technical. I mean, Myers definitely has the body to do it, but I I just don't see him. I he hasn't been a part of Stotts' rotation so far this season, so I'd be kind of surprised. I think you're going to see a little bit of Nurk, and the problem with that is is getting nurk outside the paint i think boogie's taken which i looked at before i got on here is taking like eight threes per game which i don't think that's something that nurk is going to be equipped to do is to step out on that because he's really in charge of sinking back in the paint on those pick and rolls that teams tend to put damian lillard in um i would say probably you're going to be looking at a lot of ed davis you're going to be looking at al farouk aminu possibly on anthony davis and at times on demarcus cousins depending on how the lineup is um i i i don't know if you're going to see Swanigan in this game just because of the height disadvantage but he definitely has a body that that can uh match up with these guys but he just doesn't have the experience right now i mean he's only this will be his fourth game so i would be shocked to see myers leonard but that's just my personal take but he definitely has the body and in the prototype but that's kind of the the conundrum that the blazers have been with myers leonard since he got here so that's kind of what i'm expecting on tuesday
0: let's talk help defenders um what's been happening with the pelicans is they've been opening quarter shooting well and then second third uh fourth quarter they've been dropping off a bit and teams have been sagging off the shooters and uh getting into the paint a little bit more and Anthony Davis and DeMarcus cousins have had that, that three, that bigger wing guy come in and, and help him play a little bit of defense with the four or five already being paired on him. Who is your best help defender? Who's like, you know, swiping at the ball, taking the ball from behind, rejecting from behind who do Anthony Davis and DeMarcus cousins need to grow eyes in the back of their head for.
3: I, I think Murray's Harkless is a guy that has looked sharp in the first three games. I mean, last night he, he was definitely the quietest of the three games, but his first game against the Suns, he was all over the place. And I think that's that's something that the Blazers are going to try to do a little bit more in this game is I would assume they're not going to be as hesitant to send help like they were the other night against Giannis. And if they're going to be sending help, I think it's going to be along that baseline, whoever the Pelicans put in the corner, they're going to probably try to put Harkless on him so he can kind of cheat over and just make that shooter beat him from the outside. Uh, Alfred Camino is another guy, but a lot of these guys, Harkless and Aminu are picking up defensive assignments. Most nights that either Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum aren't necessarily equipped to handle. Whereas with the Pelicans, I, I could see Stotts just kind of rolling the dice and saying, you know, look, we're going to play Ian Clark and we're going to play these guys on the outside and just kind of see what happens and focus all our attention on the guys in the paint. Kind of like what you are alluding to with this start of the question.
0: You talked a little bit, uh, I don't know if we addressed this earlier, but just about Chris Middleton of the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, a wing guy who's got a little bit of speed and energy to him, fighting around screens, mm-hmm. and some of your your wing guys, like Al Camino and Mo Harkless, having trouble chasing those screens. Uh, and then we've got slower-footed guys who are going to get minutes, uh, you know, like a, a Dante Cunningham and a Darius Miller. Um, how important is it for the Pelicans' offense to have these these quicker footed players like Ian Clark and, and Drew Holiday and each one more running around screens. Is this something that routinely takes advantage of the Portland Trailblazers defense? So Ian Clark specifically is, is kind of the Blazers killer in his first two games against
3: Portland last year. He went 17 for 19 for 45 points combined in those two games. And it's definitely a symptom of that where you're just running them off multiple screens. Now, some nights CJ McCollum comes to play off those screens and he looks good. Like he he had a couple good games against Klay Thompson last season, but for the most part, those really active guards give the Blazers problems. And last night, that was definitely the Bucks' game plan in the first quarter. I think their first four of their first five possessions all involved running Middleton off multiple screens. And what that just does is it gets those, those guys out of place. And with Portland, you're really your two plus mobile defenders are Alfa and Maurice Harkless. And if you can kind of get them either stuck on one of those picks, if you're running them on multiple ones, you're going to get a matchup that's favorable for for your offense against the Blazers.
0: Okay. We've talked uh pretty much significantly significantly about the Pelicans on offense. And now I want to talk about the Pelicans on defense because you've got uh probably one of the best backcourts in the league behind uh maybe only the the golden state warriors forgive me uh this is my third podcast in a row <laughs> uh, uh, you've got anthony davis and demarcus cousins in the paint and david mckay said that you guys are going to be just raining threes for the bulk of the game but talk about these guys crashing into the interior what kind of attackers are they all of us have seen damian lillard you know he can be a magician down there and cj McCollum. obviously i think he's scoring uh 27 points per game through the two games uh Actually, first of all, talk about that that suspension that he got for leaving the bench in Phoenix. Uh, what kind of ordeal was that?
3: I, it's it's a kind of a goofy situation, just because it is preseason basketball. But the rules are the rules. I mean, if you come off the bench and you cross that line, you're going to serve a suspension. And CJ should know that, and the coaches on the sidelines should know that. That being said, there was still a game left in the in the Blazers preseason, and. It's it's not like CJ's a repeat defender. So I thought it was a little ridiculous. And they could have at least just, you know, gave him a fine and gave him the token suspension for that last preseason game. But instead I think they kind of made an example out of him. And I, I think that might be the tone for the rest of the season, especially when it comes to that. I think it's with some of the stuff that's gone on in the NFL, I think the NBA might be worried about its image and, you know, fights and pay people clearing benches. I mean, we've come a long way since the mouse and the palace. So I think they're they're going to draw a firm line in the sand and they're letting that known from the start of the season. But I think it was still a little ridiculous.
0: Yeah. It's funny. The mouse of the palace isn't even where I went. I immediately went to that Phoenix Suns uh, oh, matchup yeah. in the Western conference finals against the San Antonio Spurs. And to this day, you know, I'm not a, a Suns fan by any means. I, I like watching them play. I've been to Phoenix multiple times and I've actually been in the Phoenix arena and it's, it's a, it's a fun event to watch the Suns play. But I remember watching that and just being filled with rage, just, for the Suns fans, that's something. Uh, I don't know. That smaller petulant could have such a significant effect on a deciding game. So uh, obviously, you know, it's not those stakes, and you guys still mm-hmm. won in overwhelming fashion by forty-eight. I think David said you guys were up by as much as fifty-six early on. But anyway, we're getting off topic. Let's yeah. let's talk about these two guys, how they coexist, and how they break down an opposing defense.
3: So a lot a lot of what you're going to see early though is you're going to see the Blazers are trying to establish Nurkic early. I, he, they're dumping it into him in the post. And what the hope is there is you're going to create, he's going to create gravity. He's going to suck that defense in towards him. And Dame has played really great off off Nurk since he's been here. And especially in in to start this season, he only needs a split second coming off the screen with Nurk, And Lillard is, is a joy to watch mainly because he's going to come down the court. And if, Somebody, if holiday doesn't body him up immediately, he's going to take a step back and he's comfortable taking those threes that are, you know, five, six feet from behind the line, kind of in that Steph Curry range. And that that's where the offense starts. He kind of gets you off balance as far as Lillard goes. And then he's gotten really good at attacking the paint and getting to the line. He went to the line. He had 12 attempts last night, which was huge for slowing the game down and a back-to-back for the Blazers. Um, He really just gets guys off balance. And when you have to respect his shot from anywhere on the court, it it really puts people at a disadvantage. And he's really good at hitting the roll guy. And you'll see that when he's playing with Ed Davis and when he's playing with Nurkic. Now it's up to Nurkic and Davis to finish those opportunities, which Nurkic has had some struggles so far to start the season. But that's kind of where where Lillard operates. Now CJ is – He's a throwback type player where he's he's perfectly comfortable operating in the mid-range. And what what he does is what he does really that's really special is with that second unit when when Lillard's out and you'll see Turner come in and they'll use Turner almost in the same way that they use Nurkic, where they're comfortable putting Turner in these post-ups on the elbow in the hopes of kind of creating that gravity where you're gonna get the ball to CJ, you're gonna run him off screens, multiple screens, a lot of dribble handoffs. And he's, his change of direction is so deceptively quick. It's, it's astonishing a lot of these nights and that's when you're going to see guys get crossed over. Like he, he really embarrassed the rookie TJ leaf uh, against the the Pacers earlier this week where I think mean, TJ leaf tweeted after the game that this CJ guy t- uh, crossed me over into a different universe or something along those <laughs> lines. So it's uh, And he's also made Dirk Nowinski look foolish in the past too. So those two guys are, are so dangerous just because they can score from anywhere on the court and they're going to really stretch defenses thin. It's just a matter of getting that third option going for Portland to really get the offense humming.
0: Uh, something I talked about with Mark King of Grizzly Bears Blues that I, I liked and I wanted to ask you as well is uh with every matchup you can expect the you know the Pelicans big guns, Demarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis, uh and even Drew Holiday to a less extent to put up some combination of, you know, 70 points. And I would assume we can expect the same thing from um uh, from Dame and CJ and Yusuf Nurkic. The But week to week, why we need experts is to find out who's going to be that role player who's going to come up big. And for the Pelicans for the first two games, it has been Ian Clark on offense. And on defense, we rely on the energy of Dante Cunningham, something that uh, opposing teams might not necessarily be looking for. But then when they watch the game, they're like, oh, how is this guy beating us? Mm -hmm. Well, that guy just happened to be hot that week. And that's why I need you, Stephen who is going to be your offensive linchpin outside of those top three and who's going to be your guy on defense. That's really going to, uh, I don't know, get a couple of turnovers and really turn the tide of the game. So on defense, I'll start defense. I'll start on the back end of that.
3: And I think Alfred Camino was kind of this Jekyll and Hyde type character where he had, I think 16 points and 16 rebounds against the Pacers. And then kind of didn't really put things together l- last night, but I think he's one of those guys who I think he's, he's equipped to guard these bigger guys a lot better than people think. And I think he'll actually do a serviceable job on Anthony Davis at times. And I don't think they're going to limit Anthony Davis to a bad night, but I think he, I think Aminu will have relative success. And I think he's going to be able to get a few blocks and kind of, kind of sneak up on people tomorrow Um, on Tuesday. I mean, and on offense, I I think Turner's kind of been that guy. He's, he when the offense kind of breaks down and they're working in some of these new faces with the second unit guys like pat connington and guys who just aren't really used to playing those rotations turner's comfortable creating his own offense and you know he can either back a guy in run off a screen or you know really he's yeah he went one for four the other night but he's actually shot the ball fairly well from from deep for evan turner which isn't exactly great but I think he's one of those guys who, when you're going to look at the box score after Tuesday, he's probably going to be in that 10 to 15 point range and probably right behind the big three for
0: for the Blazers. Again, you guys are listening to Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. This is the Bird rights. Stephen, before I let you go, uh, we're talking to Stephen DeWald. He's at Steve D. Hoops. Let's get a prediction for this matchup. Tuesday night, 10 o'clock Eastern time. Who wins the game and why? I think... Portland's just
3: going to win just because it's the home debut and and Lillard and McCollum are playing so well right now. And Yusuf Nurkic kind of feeds off this Portland home crowd. It's, it's hard to describe, but I don't think I've seen a player get the reaction out of Portland's home crowd like he gets. So I'm going to say 118-112 Blazers, but it's going to be a lot of offense, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Anthony Davis well over 30
0: points on Tuesday night. Nice work. This is Stephen DeWald of Blazer's Edge at Steve D. Hoops. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Do you have anything to plug? Any more works for our readers to check out?
3: Um, You can catch me on Blazer's Edge. I'll be there throughout the week, kind of picking up features and recaps. Um, if by chance you're interested in NFL writing, you can also find all my work that I do inside the SB Nation for the NFL side uh, by following me on Twitter. But other than that, uh, it's been a joy being on the show, Preston. And uh, just to ask you, I
0: ask everybody this. On Tuesday night, will you be live tweeting the game? I will be at the game, and I will be tweeting. So Excellent. So, guys, make sure you follow at Steve D. Hoops. He'll be uh, the voice of the enemy uh, to keep you up to date on what's going on with everything Portland. Steven, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to have you back in the new year. Unfortunately, we don't play you guys again for a while after this one. But uh, definitely looking forward to following you on Tuesday and talking to you again in January. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Bird Rights on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. Now, if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching the Bird Rights NBA podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the Bird Rights for all the latest and best coverage on your pals. And if you really like the show and you want to show us even more love, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Your help has gotten us to more than 35,000 downloads at this point. A feature on Blog Talk Radio on the main page and a spot here on Dash Radio's new Basketball Concentrated Network. And as always, if you have any questions, direct them to at Preston Ellis and we'll answer them by the next show. Let's go pals! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
1: How was the birthday party? Pizza
0: slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about?
1: Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat?